0: Hi, welcome to Olim to the Scene, where we talk to all your favorite Olim about living in Israel, their Aliyah story, politics, and more. I'm your host, Matan Goldman, and it's great to have you here. Let's begin. My guest with me today is Jonah Cowan, lawyer in training, linguistic extraordinaire. How are you, Jonah?
1: I'm very well. It's a pleasure to be in the inaugural podcast. Yeah. It's a great honor.
0: This is the first podcast. You are my first guest. I hope it's gonna go well. I hope the audience will see why I chose you as the first guest. Anyways, Jonah, let's uh, let's start with a little backstory. How do you get to Israel? What were you doing before university? Life story.
1: So I uh, I grew up in London in a place called Highgate in North London, yeah. um, and after school I spent a year studying in yeshiva in Yeshivat Har Zion yeah. in Elon Shavut, and. Um, then I went back after a year to study um, in university in, in England, in Oxford, and um, made Aliyah pretty much straight afterwards. A year after graduating, came here to Israel, and I've been living here in Givat Well for the last year.
0: Right, and how was learning in Oxford? What did you learn there? So there, I studied German and linguistics. Why would you study? That, that happens to be a pretty unique major.
1: Yes, um, I've always been very keen on modern languages, I've always um, found modern and ancient languages for that matter. To be a particular fascination from English until when I started learning foreign languages in, in, in the UK, generally starts with French, um, until I discovered German, which um, I found to be a particular passion. I studied, I found German literature particularly interesting studying in high school and decided to take that on. Um, and my, my love for languages in general kind of inspired me to study linguistics to really get to grips with what, what language is for us as a society and how it kind of operates.
0: So the interest in German is interesting because a lot of people might associate that language with unpleasant memories of the Jewish past. Did that factor in at all when you were planning on studying that?
1: Yeah, so a lot of people, um, when they find out as a, as a Jew that I've studied German, will ask me if I'm German originally, if I have family there. And it turns out actually, unlike the, um, uh, a large proportion of the Jewish community in the UK, um, my family's not from Germany, my family's from various parts of Eastern Europe, Lithuania and Poland and white Russia. Um, but um, I nevertheless have found studying German particularly interesting. I, to be honest, have not engaged so much as you might have expected with the um, particular interaction between um, Germans and Jews that there have been in the last uh, in the last few centuries. Uh, mainly focusing on kind of German literature prior to the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, but I've also I've also interacted with the, with the way Germans have have tried to react to to the, the unpleasantness in their history and come to terms with it, which is. I think a particularly interesting story uh, because of all, the, of all the nations in Europe, Germany has by far in, uh, engaged the most with its history during the Holocaust. Obviously, they were the primary actor during that time, but far more than many, many other countries. Um, and there's much more Holocaust memory in Germany. People are much more sensitive to it right. and are much more aware of it.
0: And they still pay retributions to Israel, right? I believe so. Okay. And um, you, as you mentioned, atten- attended Yeshiva Zion or the Gush, which I also attended, did that factor in at all when you, into your making Aliyah, eventual Aliyah? Yes,
1: so um, I suppose I wasn't really aware of it at the time. Um, and actually when I, when I was studying in, in Gush, I never really thought that Aliyah was on the cards for me. Um, it's something that I thought about in the past, but I felt like I was coming there, I was gonna spend a year there, I was gonna go back. And that would be my, um, my religious year, my religious gap year before university. And I'd make my, the rest of my life in the United Kingdom. It was only really once I went back and I realized what a, um, what a treat it had been to be living in Israel and how extraordinary that time had been and how, and how in many ways pivotal that had been for my um, relationship with my religion and for my identity in general, that I felt like Israel would be, was the place I wanted to spend the rest of my life.
0: Because of how it integrated into your identity? Like what, what's in Israel that you can't find in England?
1: So, um, living life as a Jew in Israel, and this may sound almost like a cliché to say, but living life, a uh, Jewish life in Israel, is qualitatively different to living life as a Jew in You are You aren't going up against the mainstream, you are the mainstream. And everything around you, and I, and I genuinely appreciate this every single day, hearing Hebrew around you is something that is um, extraordinary. Every single time I step out out of the office, onto the bus, walk around the streets, and every time I experience another thug in Israel, and thank God I'm, I'm still kind of at the, at, the, at the very beginning of my of living in Israel. And so every time I kind of experience a new cultural feature of Israeli life, a new feature of the calendar, election day, for example, today, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, later, it, it feels extraordinary to me to, to feel... Um, there's donuts in the shops, Hanukkah's coming around. There's donuts in supermarkets, not oh, yes. just in the kosher shops.
0: You're, you're um, and, a cultural and, majority.
1: And we are a cultural majority. And that's definitely a huge factor in how I feel my Jewish identity is expressed in Israel. Um, and there's also, there's also something deep down inside me. I, I do know that I think Jews should be living in Israel, and that's the place we, we should go. And if it's, if it's feasible and practical, at uh, the time in your life, um, when you're thinking about it, then you should be living in Israel.
0: All right. Thank you for discussing your backstory. Now, onto your current—what you're currently doing, your current career. What are—what are you up to?
1: So, um, for the last— uh, for the last about one year, I've been um, working in a, um, a law firm in Tel Aviv called Assassin, which is an English, UK law firm that's based in Israel. So they—they um, they engage with clients in England and Israel who have—who have a reason to to hire a UK lawyer. And um, I'm—I haven't studied. I've been studying law while working there, so I'm—I'm I'm doing my training towards becoming a, a lawyer, the equivalent of, sort of sitting the bar in the UK, and moving to qualify in one year.
0: Is that how learning law in England works? You have to work while you're learning.
1: So you can you can um, either study and then and then do practical experience, or you can do both at the same time. And I've chosen to, to do them simultaneously, and juggling a couple of things at once.
0: Right. And what's, what's like, why would an Israeli lawyer, why would an Israeli person need a British lawyer?
1: So there are many reasons. Um, and there are many different types of people we, we act for. Um, it often happens that Israelis have, have business interests in the UK and so um, require legal help in England or disputes in the UK. Um, it often happens that um, various types of arbitration or, um, or court proceedings are conducted under the realms, of, under the uh, aegis of English law because that's how a lot of commercial agreements are done. We also act for a lot of a lot of clients in the UK as well.
0: Right. And in America this is somewhat common to go from a degree such as history or linguistics to law, but why did you choose to go from German to law and not necessarily stay within your major or primary interest which it sounded like interested you?
1: Yeah, so uh, personally for me, I didn't I didn't see um, an obvious tr- career trajectory using linguistic skills, using modern languages skills um, in Israel um, directly other than academia. And academia was something that I considered. For me, I was, I, was, I was kind of excited to go out into the real world, into the world of work and leave the world of the academy behind. I felt like I'd been, I'd been in study for most of my life until that point and was ready to, was ready to do something practical. Right. I can only um,
0: handle too many tests.
1: Exactly. Um, and I, from, for my part, Law is something that has that, um, that, been in my family, uh, I'm now the third generation of lawyer in my, in my family, and um, I, it felt like a natural path and something that i would always been thinking about, it's something that I might right. consider transferring to.
0: Is there a difference, like if you're an English lawyer, can you also practice law in Israel or you can only practice law as an English lawyer?
1: So I don't know the, the exact rules, um, it's something I may look into more deeply if, if it comes to it, Um, In order to practice as an Israeli lawyer, I'd have to take a separate set of exams to qualify from being a foreign lawyer to being an Israeli lawyer. In the meantime, there are many foreign qualified lawyers working in Israeli law firms that are not qualified in Israel but are nevertheless useful for the clients of of commercial firms, for example.
0: Right, so for an English person listening to this podcast, is your path something realistic for them? Would they be able to find a law law firm to take them to do work, to intern there? While doing the bar, or is that something that you managed to swing?
1: Well, it's something that it's something that the particular the particular firm that I work for enables um, and enables for certain many other people other than me. Um, but it's also, I think, um, b- very dependent on your particular career path and where you're up to in life. People make aliyah and and um, decide to make aliyah at different points in their life. So. If you're making Aliyah at 18 versus making Aliyah after a university degree versus you have some kind of professional experience already in a particular field, for example, law, then that would that would massively depend. Um, but I think the kind of path that I've gone on is, is definitely, a, I think, a very common one in the sense that, you know, lots of people find it easier to initially find work in, a, in an English speaking environment, in a um, in a in a cultural environment that's closer to where they came from, um, rather than diving straight into um, integrating themselves into Israel, which can often be difficult to find and difficult to, to cope with.
0: Right. And have you, have you yourself found difficulty coming after college as opposed to maybe come like coming, joining the army, drafting, integrating into, society, into Israeli society? You come after college, so you've had to kind of do that later in life without the support system of the army or something like that. So have you found that difficult at all?
1: I definitely did have felt that that um, friends of mine, like Yumatan, for example, who yeah. made aliyah straight after school, um, in some ways had an easier time um, because they because they were in a in a, in a as you say a support network. They had a whatever institution they were in was guiding them through the process of aliyah, guiding them through the process of drafting into the army, and um, and once they kind of left that environment. They already uh, had, a, had a certain amount of understanding of the way things worked, of what they wanted to do. Um, whereas, as you say, I came much more on my own. Um, I didn't initially come to an Ulpan when I was in Israel, so I didn't have that kind of Ulpan network either. Right.
0: But you came um, with knowledge of Hebrew. I
1: came with knowledge of Hebrew, um, and which, was, which was helpful. I think I've managed, I've made it work and done my own path. As many people do, they, they find what works for them. I'm very grateful and very blessed to have lots of friends already in Israel. From the time i've spent here um and from the many times that i've visited um over the last few years and um i think yeah i think I've, i think I'm, I'm i'm trying to make it work just like everyone is but yeah it's, it's definitely different when you when you come and you and you and you uh, and you're here through the army and then stay you have an instinctive understanding and knowledge of things that i don't think i understand yet
0: right now let's talk about the community where you're living and i'm also living give well so there are like Probably a couple of young, single couples community, like pre, before having a family communities, Tel Aviv, Yerushalayim, Haifa could be one, and where we are, Givach Muel. So what made you decide to move to Givach Muel specifically? And how have you enjoyed it so far?
1: Yeah. So um, this is in many ways, I think one of the hard, harder things to decide when being and when initially settling in Israel, um, and in many ways, it's a blessing because in in lots of uh, countries of Qatar, for example, in England, that there are there are a relatively small number of choices. You have you know one or two choices about where to live um, if you're moving out from your parents, um, where where young modern orthodox Jews live, and so you just live there. Whereas in Israel, it's a big country and it's a very diverse country, and there are many um, parts of it that, that contain people who are who match exactly your hashgafik, your your outlook on the world. And and your the the kind of life you want to lead the lifestyle um, that, that you're interested in. So um, when I when I was deciding about Aliyah, um, part of the choice was was geographical. I, I wanted to be relatively near to Tel Aviv, where um, where I knew I'd be working. Part of the choice was also I wanted a community that that matched my interests and my approach to Judaism. Let's say I should I should um, I
0: should clarify the communities I were talking about are. Where young single Olimar, English speaking Olim, right. Olim primarily,
1: and that's the other, and that's the other, and that's the other feature. I wanted some time where I would feel comfortable, but um, both people that I knew already lived, but also where I felt that I would I would I would meet other English speakers who I felt culturally similar to, and I'd be easily able to to kind of integrate into that community. Um, because it can be hard integrating into a Hebrew speaking community, especially straight off the bat, working out everything um, in terms of integration, and also trying to figure out um, a social life in Hebrew. So that I suppose distills it down to a few options which you laid out places like Jerusalem and Tel Aviv um, as well as Give Action well. and I suppose it was just knowing a few close friends in Give Action well that that um, helped me choose Give Action well, but also the fact that um, a good friend of mine had a space in his apartment and that was um, convenient to move into at that particular point that I was deciding to make right. Aliyah um, kind of swung it for me that I thought let me start there I had a great initial year I um, and I've decided to stay for another of academic year this, um, from 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 uh, August until next year, so we'll see how it goes.
0: And what do you think about the community? Because one of the advantages I see in Givat over Jerusalem or Tel Aviv is that there's a JLIC, uh, like a sponsored, funded communal center with a with a rabbi, and that allows for more of a centralization of the community and allows for people to bond more, to meet new people. So, do you have any thoughts on that? As opposed to like Potentially, the more separated communities within Jerusalem.
1: So that's definitely something that um, that enticed me, I suppose, about um, about the community in virtual the More I'd heard of it um, when I made Aliyah. It was it was during a certain phase of the COVID lockdown and unlocking. Um, so I wasn't able to sort of have an initial tryout visit at all. But I'd heard about it. Um, I knew people there, and that, that was one of the things that I had heard, which was the the kind of warm social, social social atmosphere and the kind of support that is offered by the JLIC. but also I think by the fact that it's it's a uni- it's in, in many ways a university town. So for those who don't know right. Gievačnica well, it's um, it's um, a sort of growing sort of t- a growing town, medium-sized town, um, right next to the University of Barilan, and many of the people who live in in, in Gievačnica are students at Barilan, which gives it a, the kind of feel of a student town and felt a lot like where I where I'd been studying um, as well because in university because that, that was that was also kind of a student feel and. And the way in which people live very close to each other, um, have Shabbat is a very intense social time, um, which is very enjoyable and very uh, um, makes makes kind of planning your life a lot easier. That you don't have to you don't have to travel. You don't have to um, search out people to spend time with. People are very friendly. People talk to each other after shul at kiddish, right. um, and that's something that's offered by by the by the nature of the place and also by the JLIC, which is um, an amazing support, um, quite extraordinary actually in many ways because. Israel doesn't do community in the way that Chutzlarah does community um, which is it, one of the things that makes choosing a place to live quite hard because you don't, you can't naturally just find a local shul join it, make friends through it right. you have to search things out and GLSC makes that very easy. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that kind of support that, that exists there
0: Right, people in Israel usually view shuls as just a place to daven, they don't necessarily view it as like a communal centre Exactly. They don't have like community rabbis but so here in Yibach Muel for the young students or young people, we do have a community like that. Um, So like you mentioned, Givachmuel is like very much a college-centric town. So that also makes it very transient, right? A lot of our friends have left because finished university or they're in the last year of university. So what do you think your plans are for beyond Givachmuel or if you'll ever leave or So we'll see. Um,
1: We'll see where life takes me. Um, it, you're definitely right that things are transient, and that's, I mean, a blessing and a curse. People, people who I'm fond of move out. People, new people come in, and it's always a pleasure to be able to meet new people. Um, and for friends of mine who, um, who, who just who, who move in, that's also great to to kind of have a new having new new uh, members of the community, people to see frequently. Yeah, it's definitely a place that I think people, a lot of people move on from eventually, and I think I will also um, thinking about potentially living in line, try that out. I think it it's an extraordinary city and somewhere that i would love to live at some point in my life um and there's no time like the present so uh that's something i'm I'm thinking about at the moment without having kind of committed to anything but um uh, if anybody listening to the podcast knows of a uh, apartment in jerusalem then please get in touch
0: and we'll likely have people who live in jerusalem later on the podcast for those who are interested in hearing about it as a community um transitioning to what you alluded to before election day so israel has just had its believe fifth election in four years and where you're from england has just had its third prime minister in four years what's the prime minister this year third prime minister this year even yeah
1: we're currently on our third prime minister Um, of 2022
0: so why don't you as our native british person here explain to people what's going on in england how did it get even more politically unstable than israel which has obviously been dealing with elections for a while now so uh Eng- england
1: is an interesting uh is an interesting story um over the last couple of years um there's been you could say there's been political instability in the uk for the last 12 years really since um the 2010 election when no majority was produced in the in parliament for the first time really in many ways a very stable coalition was was created um and the real chaos comes about from um 2016 when a referendum was held that caused um a political upset that nobody in the political establishment, nobody um, of the serious parliamentarians in the, in the major parties, really predicted, that's whether they or not. And that's Brexit. Mm. That was a decision to leave the European Union, and since then, there's, there has been a certain degree of instability. And that was twenty sixteen. Um, we've had two general elections since then, and I suppose four or five prime ministers. I think it's five, if you include David Cameron. Um, because we haven't really figured out, really, what the direction of the country is. The UK is a parliamentary democracy, which means that um, the party with the largest, with the commanded majority in Parliament, they decide their own leader, and that leader becomes Prime Minister. So um, for those who aren't aware, that the, the two recent changes in our Prime Minister, uh, after Boris Johnson resigned, did not come back through an election. They came about through an internal procedure within the ruling party that decided who the, who the leader should be. Um, and that instability is really because that party has been tearing itself up about Um, its direction for the last few years Um, and until we have a general election we won't really find out
0: what are the options for its direction
1: the options for its direction are um, whether or not it fully embraces a kind of libertarian um, hard right policy and says that leaving the European Union will allow us to unshackle ourselves from the um, from the rules and regulations of the European Union and will become a kind of what people sometimes describe as, as, as a kind of Singapore-style country, where low tax, low regulation, um, right. pursue growth on the one hand, or whether or not we'll just say, you know what, we've left the European Union, but we still want to trade a lot with the EU. We still want to maintain close relationships with them. We still want to have a kind of decent respect for for international kind of um, economic principles and we'll stay as a normal European country, despite the fact that we're not a member of this particular union. Um and that is kind of tearing us apart, um, at least that's tearing that particular party apart, the Conservative Party, and it hasn't been resolved.
0: Right. So we went from Boris Johnson, who obviously had to step down because he was mired in political scandal. Yes. The co- famous COVID parties. The
1: COVID parties, as well as uh, the thing that brought him down was supporting a um, and promoting on several occasions somebody who, who Boris Johnson knew had lots of sexual assault allegations against him. Oh. Um that was the the final nail in the coffin. But yeah, the, the, also the uh, fact that he didn't seem to treat the COVID lockdowns with any degree of respect.
0: And then we went to Liz Truss, who proposed economic policy that was unsuited for England's current economy.
1: Yeah, right. um, she came in, crashed the economy, um, spoke at the Queen's funeral, and, and that was pretty
0: much it. And who's who's the prime minister now? What's his deal? So
1: a fellow called Rishi Sunak, who's been who's been the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the the equivalent of the finance minister for the last, uh, under Boris Johnson, for several years, uh, happens to be the richest member of parliament, um, made a huge amount of money in Goldman Sachs and married a, 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 the heiress to an um, Indian billionaire. Um, uh, he himself is and, Indian, right? And he himself is also Indian. He's our first, um, I believe, our first um, uh, Prime Minister of, of, Asian, of South Asian origin. Second, um,
0: second ethnic some people
1: say his, yes, our, our second ethnic minority prime minister if you include Benjamin Disraeli, who was um, a sort of halachically Jewish, although his father um, converted to Christianity when uh, when he Benjamin Disraeli was quite young, so he spent most of his life living as a Christian. Um, but yeah, you could say he's our, you could say Rishi Sunak is our second ethnic minority prime minister. He's a kind of very, very down the line sort of centrist um, on economic issues, but uh, um, we'll kind of see. we we'll kind of see how things pan out. Right. Um, and the instability in the country kind of doesn't seem to have doesn't seem to have ended.
0: And does, does he have any controversy surrounding him, or is he like a pretty all in candidate?
1: Um, I I, uh, I think the only the main controversy around him is around his tax affairs. So his wife um, was um, accused of and I think admitted to using a particular tax loophole that enabled her to not pay any tax in the UK. Um, by spending a certain number, only a certain number of days in the country, um, that hasn't sort of resurfaced since he uh, became prime minister. But it was a partic- particular issue earlier this year, um, and may and may become more of an issue if we discover more things about his tax affairs. As a, as I think, a, a multi-millionaire, um, I'm sure there's a lot to uncover.
0: Right now, um, is there anything you want to say about Israeli politics? Israeli politics. Um,
1: Yes, I mean Israel is in a, is in more of a perma crisis, I think, than the UK. Um, right. I think Israel is also um, wrestling, rather than a kind of between different parties um, or between particular within a particular political party. The whole country, I think, in Israel is is at a standstill, and we've seen that from um, however many elections it's been since um, in the last two or three years. Um, and today's election, as on the date of recording, is the first election um, I've been privileged to be able to take part in, but in all of them I think we've seen um, an inability to make a decision about the direction of the country because you've got two broad camps that, that simply can't come together. And whereas you had lots of different kind of smaller groups in the past that all kind of worked our way to cooperate, we now just have two quite hardened blocks. One very solid block that is um, unequivocally and unambiguously always behind ben- Benjamin Netanyahu um, and they're always going to stay, stick with him, and they're very unlikely ever to, to abandon his side. And the question is whether they can get a majority or win other parties over. And you've got another unstable coalition of um, centrist parties, writing parties that for some reason don't like the Likud or don't like Bibi, um, none of whom seem to be able to have a cohesiveness enough or attract enough votes to create a stable government of their own.
0: Well, Unst- it should be noted that a lot of the instability in the previous government was from one specific party, Amina, who's constituents all left in the middle because they disagreed with certain policies being put through. Um, so it could be that if they managed to make a coalition with the current parties, that that would be a more stable government, right?
1: Yes. So, I mean, it's a very uncomfortable coalition. I think it's inherently uncomfortable because um, the coalition of what people call the left or the, or the center bloc in Israel is made up of the core parties are two centrist parties. Um, whatever, you know, Lieberman's party is a right wing party. Gantz, his, his, his centrist party contains a right-wing party, that p- party called called al-Asha, New Hope, yeah. and, and, and also the parties of the very much firmly of the left, Labour and Meretz, not, not to say anything of the Arab parties that are hoping to entice to join their coalition. So you already got a very broad church coalition and the fact that it frayed this year from the right and from the left, it frayed as a result of the actions of members of Yamina, the right-wing side of the party, and as a result of the actions of uh, members of Meretz, which was yeah. the which is the the furthest left Zionist party in Israel. Although that was or specifically not, not
0: one member who was uh, an Arab who they added later as kind of a diversity pick.
1: Right. So so there's a lot to say about the individual case of um, of that of that Knesset, of that of that um, MK. But structurally, you can see why it, it, it is very uncomfortable to maintain party discipline and coalition discipline in a in a group of people who um, effectively don't have anything politically in common other than we don't like Bibi. And yeah. the re- there's a reason why they call themselves the, the the change block. That was kind of the advertising they used, I think, in the most in the previous election, because they just want something other than Bibi, and they want to get rid of Bibi. And um, right. and uh, their slogan has often been kind of mocked as being Ruck or Bibi, where the slogan of the Likud party that Bibi runs is called Ruck Bibi only yeah. bb and they are ruck Law bb just as long as it's not bb which is not much of a slogan for electioneering
0: although on, on the bb side you also have to note that the haredi parties which are really the parties that ensure his majority are to some extent uh, a single issue party and that's money to yeshivot and money to the haredi institutions so there's only so long they can stand not being in the government before they might potentially join the change bloc, which they've done in the past. Haredi governments have often been part of left-wing governments despite their current protests of that they will only stick with Bibi there is a chance for them to join the left-wing government should the pressure be put on them
1: You're completely right um, and that's the traditional position that Haredi parties in Israel, um, United Torah Judaism and Shas have, have always occupied I think there's been a, a sea change in their voter bloc, which is that they have come to, they have, their voter bloc has come to support um, Netanyahu to a much greater level than previously. And to rather that, so rather than, so whereas the parties themselves effectively remain single issue parties, with some complexity and some difference between the two major Haredi parties, their voters will, are kind of leaning towards supporting the Likud and other wing parties. Um, and have become much more politically aware, I think, or at least willing to be politically aware than they have in the past. And so... They have to stick with Bibi because they're always. I think they're nervous that their voters will desert them. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly Shas is a very un, has a very unstable voter base. That, whereas whereas um, United Torah Judaism, most Ashkenazi Haredim are going to vote for them um, regardless. Shas Sephardi Haredim will generally vote for them, but right. but a lot of their voter base is based on um, traditional um, Sephardi who aren't who are right. who nevertheless support Shas and and they'll abandon them if they don't, if they go to the left. So right. they've kind of almost become part of the right wing without. Without intending it.
0: Right. And it, it's very interesting the Shas advertisements campaigning. A lot of it is towards masorati not Haredi Jews, and using kind of Rabbi Vaji's, Yosef's image to appeal to them. Um, but as we said, this is being recorded on election night, so we'll have to see how badly or well what we're saying ages. Absolutely.
1: And, 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 and I mean, I think it's pretty much a definite that by the time, uh, by at least a week from now, we probably won't have very much more information than we have today. Um, We'll know we'll know who the parties are. We'll know how many seats they have, but it will be uh, several days yet before we can um, before we can say for for sure what government there actually will be. But um, I think it will be very difficult for either side to build a coalition unless unless somehow all of the uh, Arab and left wing parties um, do not pass the threshold or a substantial majority of them don't. In which case. A right-wing coalition will, will kind of sail through. But I guess that would all have to be told. Our story will have to be told.
0: Now, Jonah, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions. Please. Short answers. Who do you think is going to win? With the the election.
1: election. I think um, Bibi will form a coalition.
0: All right. Um, Israel, as you know, great country, but sometimes it's a little hot here. If you could choose one other location in the world to be the Holy Land, which location geographically, weather-wise, would it be?
1: Wow. Um, I, think, I think England's a great place. I'd love to keep living there if it was the Holy Land.
0: You want us to be a lot more rainy than Cloudy are. and rainy. That's what I'm going for. All right. Favorite Israeli food? Chumas. Cuisine. Chumas by itself or with, uh... hum, hummus with...
1: Chumas siyach So the, the big pot of chumas that you, that you buy as a meal.
0: Favorite Hebrew song? Ooh. Um... Hebrew song Atikva. Atikva, the national anthem. Very apt, very matim, very patriotic. Jonah Cowan, it's been a pleasure having you here and um, hope to see you again. Thank you, Matan. It's been a pleasure to be hosted. Thank you for being my first guest. Thank you for listening to Olim to the Scene. Recording and music are done by me, Matan Goldman. Editing and setup by Penny Silver. If you would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us by the email in the description, olimtothescene@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next time.